thank you. I invite you to take your Bibles or your order of service. Uh, our reading uh, today uh, comes from uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning verse 40, uh, through to verse 17 of uh, chapter 2. Let us then hear uh, God's word. And a leper came to him, that is Jesus. A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But Jesus was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that we're all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. And may God add his blessing to this the reading of his word. Just a brief prayer. 
Make the book live to us, O Lord. Show us thyself with, within thy word. Show us ourselves and show us our saviour. And make the book live to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder what your experience of going to the doctors is like. That's if you can remember that far back. Maybe some of you are just too young ever even to have seen a doctor. Um, but I, I wonder if you can remember going to the doctors and what your experience of going to the doctors is like. Now, no one really wants to have to go to the doctors. But when you go, do you find the doctor to be helpful? Do you find them to be understanding? Well, I know many people who don't like going to the doctor. And you know the reason why? Because the doctor won't give them what they want. They don't like going to the doctor because the doctor won't give them what they want. Now, I wonder if you have this attitude when, when you go to the doctors. You want them to give you what you want. And there are many doctors who, who do just give people what they want. Prescriptions, endless sick lines. But if a doctor is any good, they will be of the mind to give people what they need rather than what they want. A good doctor will always give people what they need. Well, the first day of Jesus' public ministry has just been witnessed in chapter 1, verse 16 to 39. And what has been witnessed are things of stunning power and compassion. Jesus healing all those who came to him, those with diseases, uh, disabilities, sickness, terminal illnesses. And Jesus also has the power to drive out unclean spirits. He has power even over the demonic world. And as the demons come out, they scream, have you come to destroy us, Jesus? It's a good question, isn't it? Why have you come, Jesus? And you will notice that that question hasn't yet been answered. It's sort of a left hanging there. Well, in verses 37 to 39, Jesus' mission is in danger again. But this time it's from his disciples. Jesus has become a victim of his own success. The word is out that Jesus can heal and he can heal anything. And the people flood in in taxis and buses from everywhere. But Jesus, Jesus takes himself off to a solitary place. Well, the disciples, they think they've won the lottery because here in Jesus, they have a religious leader who can actually do some practical good for a change. So they go looking for him. And when they find him, they say to him, Jesus, get back to town. Your popularity is on, is on the rise. So get back to town, Jesus. But Jesus says, no, no, I must go on to the other towns to preach there. Because that is much more important. Really, Jesus? Are you having a laugh? Preaching much more important than, than long life and, and good health. Now, with this context in mind, we, we come to our three stories for today. And what we will see is that what Jesus is doing is infinitely more compassionate and infinitely more powerful. Because Jesus is the doctor who gives us not what we want, but he is the doctor who gives us what we need. Jesus has come to deal with something that most people don't even recognize as an issue, the problem of sin. 
And he hasn't come to deal with the symptoms, no. He has come to deal with it at the root of the disease. And not just in a, a temporary way, but forever, by bringing a full cure. So we have these three pictures that show us why Jesus has come. Three pictures that finish with Jesus' statement in verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, each of these stories contains unbearable human suffering and the impossible grace of Jesus. Well, our first snapshot you'll find in chapter 1, verse 40 to 45, the leper. Um, the leper. It doesn't take much imagination. This fella was a leper. He was basically the living dead, dressed as a corpse going to a funeral, his own, banished from his village, his city, not allowed to enter the synagogue. All contact with his family would be lost. Indeed, all human contact would be, would be cut off, apart from that of, of other lepers. They were not allowed to enter towns for the deadly fear of, of passing leprosy, leprosy on. A wee bit like the outbreak of the AIDS virus back in, back in the 80s. Remember, there was terrible stigma. Folks didn't know how you caught it or how you passed it on. So there was terrible fear. The leper had been robbed of everything. Robbed of his family. Robbed of his community. Robbed of his place of worship. Robbed of his reputation. And now here, Mark doesn't even mention his name. He is robbed of his name. He is now only defined by his disease. And if anyone passed by the leper, the leper was to shout out, unclean, unclean, to make them aware he was a leper. Leprosy was infectious. It was disfiguring and it was unbearable. It was also incurable. The rabbis had a saying that it was easier to raise the dead than it was to cleanse leprosy, and that God alone could cleanse leprosy. And so the sufferer experienced a living death. And the leper, you will see, is he is deeply aware of his own condition, his own need, and he comes to Jesus begging, if you will, you can make me clean. Now that's very different from when we go to the doctors, isn't it? When we go to the doctors, we believe the doctor is, is willing to help us. The question we have when we go to the doctor is, is the doctor able to help us? But no, not here. The leper believes that Jesus is, is able to help him, but the leper doesn't know if Jesus is willing to help him. He doesn't doubt Jesus' ability, but he does doubt Jesus' desire. Does Jesus want to help? Does Jesus even care? Because he's been a leper long enough to know that nobody really cares. Not really. Well, in verse 41, we read, Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. It's absolutely breathtaking. These are words of deep emotion, moved with compassion, moved with anger, moved with fury. Not fury with the leper or because of the leper's doubts, no, but fury with the ravages of this disease and with all human suffering. Leprosy encapsulates all that is evil. 
It encapsulates the death that we will all one day have to face as a result of sin. And Jesus is angry. He reaches out his hand and he touches the leper. I wonder how long it had been since the leper had felt the touch of another human being. There was a whole period like that for us last year, wasn't there? Where we were um, not allowed to touch each other. We were not allowed to console each other. We were not allowed to meet with each other. But at least we always had the hope uh, that things would change in the future. But not so with the leper. This was his life forever. And Jesus reaches out his hand and, and touches him. And Jesus says, I am more than willing. Be clean. Before our very eyes, the, the disease leaves him. The physical disfigurement leaves him. It's like the scene out of a movie. Nerve endings that were dead are made alive. Muscles and digits that were damaged and maybe fingers that have fallen off have been made whole. Every symptom, we are told, every symptom left him immediately. Not over time. Not all the meds in the world could do that. He is made whole. He is made clean completely. He moves from death to life. It's a new creation. It's a, it's a restoration. What is unbearable leaves and what is impossible enters in. It's a liberation. And we will see here that, that Jesus' touch works in reverse. When Jesus touches the unclean, he doesn't become unclean. The unclean become clean. It's as if Jesus absorbs the unclean condition. And so he says to the leper, now you need to go. You need to go and see the priest and offer the sacrifices for your cleansing that Moses commanded. You need to go and you need to obey the law. And the priest, he will pronounce you clean so that you can re-enter society. But make sure you keep your mouth shut. But the leper, well, he can't help himself. And I mean, who could blame him? And we read in verse 45, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in out and desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. He spoke freely about it so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the towns. The leper was back in society but Jesus is outside in desolate places. And so we begin to see that Jesus is a different kind of doctor. The leper and Jesus have swapped places. The leper was outside, but now through the healing, Jesus is outside and the leper is received back into society. It's the first picture of Dr. Jesus. And he hasn't come just to see a list of patients. No, he has come to take what is unbearable and to give what is impossible. And he does that by changing places with us. And here in chapter one of Mark's gospel, this story begins to cast the shadow of the cross over Jesus. Well, that's the first picture. The second we will find in chapter two, verses one to 12, in the paralyzed man, the paralyzed man. And this is a great story. It's one of the fundamental stories of the Christian faith. Here we go deeper into the heart of why Jesus came 
and deeper into what it is he is doing. So again, someone comes to Jesus. In fact, they are brought to Jesus. This man can't do anything for himself because he is paralytic. I remember when I first read that story 20 years ago when I became a Christian. Um, that word in Glasgow has got a very different meaning. Um, I thought this guy was absolutely steaming drunk, you know, and I thought, man alive, that must have been some size of carry out he had. Um, it took four of his pals to carry him. But it's a different kind of paralytic. Um, this fella is paralytic. He cannot move. And his four friends have, they have obviously heard about Jesus' healing abilities, and they love their friend who is completely paralyzed. His life is basically over. And so they grab his stretcher and they come to the house where Jesus is preaching. And whenever Jesus preaches, there is always a great crowd. Unlike here, the place is so packed, they, they can't get in the doors. They couldn't even put people in with a shoehorn. But the four friends won't be put off. Such is their strength of faith in Jesus. They won't stop. They won't let that put them off. They will not be stopped. And by the way, this is, a, this is a great picture of what Christians ought to be doing. Bringing our friends to Jesus. Grabbing their stretchers, bringing them to Jesus and not let, letting anything stop us. So they kind of get into the house by way of the front door. So they got up onto the roof. It's a flat roofed house. The house has stairs up the side to enable you to get onto the roof. And so up, up onto the roof they go. The roof is made of straw wood, mud, and timber, and they listen out for where Jesus is preaching. And then they start dismantling the roof above him. Extreme measures, maybe, but their friend is not just a stretcher case. His life is basically over, and the only hope he has, the only hope he has, if, if, if Jesus, this healer called Jesus, can see him and heal him. It's a wonderful moment. The crowd is packed in, Jesus is preaching, and these four guys are on the roof, pulling the roof apart. Now, I've had many distracting things happening when I've been preaching. The child that's constantly crying and the parent eh, won't get the message and take them out. Wasn't it good that, that there was a baby crying earlier? And psh, Rupert, you've got them well trained. Um, <laughs> folks constantly speaking to each other throughout the sermon because I'm so engaging. I even had a fella snoring in the front row once. But I've never had anyone pull the roof apart above me as I've been preaching. Well, the roof is pulled apart, and then down comes the stretcher containing the paralyzed man, lowered by his four friends. And what does Jesus do? Well, let's look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Can you just imagine the four guys on the roof? Hold on a minute. That's not why we brought our friend to you, Jesus. That's not why we brought him. It's his legs. You don't need to be a brain surgeon to work that one out, Jesus. It's blindingly obvious. The guy is paralyzed. Will you know heal him, Jesus? He has not come to have his, his sins forgiven. There is no evidence that this fella is even aware of any sins. Isn't Dr. Jesus just being a wee bit, well, impractical? Well, before we get an answer, things become even more disturbing. Jesus can't just see into the heart of the paralyzed man. He can read the hearts of the clergy who are there watching him. They haven't yet said a word in verse 6 to 9, but Jesus knows what they are thinking. And they are thinking that no one can forgive sins 
but God alone. And so therefore, this is a blasphemous thing for Jesus to say, which is true in a way, isn't it? No one can forgive sins but God alone. Now what Jesus does is what, what Jesus does next is what Jesus often does with controversial and uncomfortable questions. He brings them out into the open. He says, I know this is what you are thinking. And then he puts a question to them. Verse 8. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, it's probably easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's easier to say that, isn't it? Because you can't actually see whether it's true or not. But both are impossible. But Jesus then goes on, verse 10. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Again, it's absolutely instantaneous. This man's body is healed. We don't know how long he had been paralyzed for, but muscles that had wasted away, tendons and sinews that had forgotten how to work, they're made whole. He doesn't need any help getting up. He, de he doesn't need crutches going out. And he's not given any appointments to go for a year of intense physio, which is just as well, because he would probably wait about five years today for any sort of a physio. But we are told he rose. He picked up his mat and walked out a new man. He moves from death to life. It's a recreation. It's a restoration. What is unbearable leaves and what is impossible enters in. And what we have here is two miracles for the price of one. We have two miracles happening. The forgiveness of sins that we can't see and the healing of a paralyzed body that we can see. From Jesus' point of view, this man has two problems, not just one. So he first forgives his sins and then he demonstrates the power and the reality of his forgiving word and restores his body. Two separate miracles. It's not that the man was, was paralyzed because he had committed some great evil and, and needed an, an encouraging word. If that was the case, when Jesus forgave his sins, he would have got up and walked. But he doesn't. That's not it. The physical healing is a second thing. It is an outward and physical demonstration of what Jesus has done inwardly. And when Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven, Jesus isn't announcing that he is forgiven. Jesus, in that moment, is actually forgiving him. And Jesus tells us why in verse 10, why he heals the man's body. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Get up and take your mat and walk. That's why he has come. The healing of his body, wow, absolutely wonderful. But the forgiving of his sins, infinitely more wonderful and infinitely more valuable. I remember I was, I was doing a place in Ayrshire called New Mills and uh, 
there was a lady there who had recently become a Christian through um, a Christianity Explored course. And she had a wee boy um, who was 12 years old and he was paralyzed from the neck down. He had never walked a step in his life and he was in one of these kind of a big custom-made wheelchairs with the, the kind of a wee lever thing to, to kind of a move him about. Uh, but as they were going through um, the material of Christianity Explored, which is based in Mark's Gospel, uh, they came to this portion um, of Scripture, verse, chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. And the group leader posed the question, why do you think Jesus forgave the man's sin first before he healed his legs? And this wee woman who had a wee boy who had never walked a step in his life, this was her answer. She said, because his sin was crippling him more than his legs. His sin was crippling him more than his legs. The paralyzed man is lowered into the house the way a dead body would be lowered into a grave. The only difference is that when he gets to the bottom, he doesn't meet death. No, he meets life in the person of Jesus Christ and in his word of forgiveness. You will see in verse 9 and 11, twice Jesus uses the word rise. This is a resurrection word. Twice Jesus uses the word rise. And then we read in verse 12, and he rose. It's a picture of this wonderful new life he has received through the forgiveness of his sins. Now that he has been healed physically, he could go and live a full and normal life. He could get himself a job. He could get married, have children, contribute to society and his community. But as wonderful as all that is, what we are meant to see, there is something more wonderful, infinitely more wonderful, and that is the forgiving of his sin. His legs being healed meant that he could rise to a new life. But the forgiving of his sins means that on that day, the day of judgment, he would rise to eternal life. And this is one of the great truths of the Bible. God doesn't treat us according to our sins. He doesn't deal with us as we deserve. He deals with us as we don't deserve. Forgiveness is a massive power. But let's be clear about what this means. It's not just wiping the slate clean. It's not just forget about yesterday. No, it's about being raised from death to life. It's about being given a new life. Now I wonder if we had to ask everybody in here, tell us your testimony. Tell us what Jesus has done for you. I'll start. He's got me off drugs. He's made me a better guy. He's made me a better person. Maybe we would say, oh, you know, I don't commit adultery anymore. I'm a much, a much more faithful husband or a much more faithful wife. But see, that's all we say. We're missing the main point. The Apostle Paul reminds us of every Christian's testimony, every Christian's testimony there in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead. No matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter where we come from or what we've done, our testimony BC before Jesus is that we were dead. And verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 tells us what the gospel accomplishes for us. Because of his great love for which he loved us, he made us alive. He made us alive. So that's the testimony. No, just forget about yesterday, but about being raised from death to life. 
It's about being given a new life. And Jesus says that he has the power to forgive sins here on earth. Now, that's absolutely startling because the forgiveness of sins is the verdict the Bible says will be given on the last day, on the day of judgment. But Jesus says, I bring that verdict of the last day and I pronounce it now. I bring it into time, space, history. It's not something you need to work towards. You can know that your sins are forgiven and forgiven completely. And you don't have to go through life wondering, doubting, lacking assurance. You can have a verdict now. Jesus has the power and the authority to remove every barrier of sin between us and God. He offers new life. He offers restoration. This is the authority of Jesus. And it comes into our lives now. It doesn't come just to fix up our lives so we can live 70, 80, 90 happy years. No. It comes into our lives in order to bring us back to God and to give us life for all eternity. Well, that's picture number two. Well, thirdly and finally, we have picture number three. Levi, the tax collector. Levi, the tax collector. What we have here in this story is a picture of a wonderful meal. And this story shows us the result of being forgiven, the result of forgiveness. Verse 14, Jesus pa passes by the tax booth and there is Levi, son of Alphaeus, who is a tax collector. And Jesus says, follow me. And we read that Levi rose and followed Jesus. Probably don't need to tell you that tax collectors were hated. You will remember at that time Israel, um, and at that time in Israel's history, they were an occupied nation under the control of the Roman Empire. And the Romans, the Romans ruled Israel, and in order to fund their great world empire, the Romans levied heavy taxes and all the nations under their control. The tax collectors, well, they were Jewish, but they collected tax for Rome. So they were seen as absolute traitors, turncoats, because they were working for the enemy and had become rich on the misery they were heaping upon their fellow countrymen. And to top it all off, it was very well known that the tax collectors were cheats, taking more tax from the people than they were authorized to take. They were seen as real scumbags because they had sold out their people. They had sold out their nation. They had sold out their God. And even if they wanted to change and reform, they would never be accepted back amongst the people. They would always be remembered as a tax collector and they would always be seen as a scab. It's hard to imagine how reviled tax collectors were. We often think, oh, tax collectors, oh, nobody likes to pay taxes, ha, 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 and we all laugh. But this wasn't about money. This was about real hatred towards the tax collectors for the reasons that I've already outlined. And a modern-day equivalent of how hated and reviled tax collectors were, I think, you know, of how an, a whole people feel about a certain group of people, I think probably today it would, it would have to be... Uh, Pedophiles, child abusers, how our nation feels, our combined nation feels towards those who harm children would bring you somewhere close to how much Levi was hated. 
but it's to one like this that Jesus calls, follow me. Notice Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, clean up your act, leave tax collecting behind, give it six months, prove yourself, and then you can follow me. No, Jesus just says, or Jesus commands, follow me. It's the same authority that said to the leper, be clean. The same authority that said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk. And now he says to Levi, follow me. And Levi rose. It's resurrection language again. He becomes a new man. He leaves the tax collecting business behind and begins a new life following Jesus. He moves from death to life. It's a recreation. It's a restoration. What is unbearable leaves and what is impossible enters in. And what is impossible becomes the focus of the passage. Because what happens next as we go into this beautiful meal, which is a picture of the restoration that Jesus brings. Verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, this is a big meal. You see, Levi does what everyone who begins to follow Jesus does. He takes what he has and he begins to serve Jesus. And all he has is money and a load of friends with uh, questionable backgrounds. And so he brings these two things together with Jesus. It's absolutely wonderful. But the religious guys, well, they, they are horrified. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, eating with someone was a very big deal. It demonstrated and communicated acceptance and identification. For a man like Jesus to eat with these guys would make him unclean in their eyes. But that's what forgiveness does. It opens the door to a very different kind of community and a very different kind of acceptance. Not a community based on our success or our failure. Not a community based on our moral standing, our, our rightness or wrongness. Not a community based on our outward beauty or our ugliness. True forgiveness leads to feasting. This is the kingdom of God. To follow Jesus is to be made clean by him. And those who are forgiven long to be together. That's one of the reasons we gather Sunday by Sunday. It's a foretaste of the great feast of the kingdom. That's why Jesus has come. And Jesus tells us again why he has come. Those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus hasn't come for those who are, are confident in their own goodness, confident in their own spirituality, or confident in their own moral uprightness. No, listen to Jesus. I've come for sinners. You may be like the leper. You may be sitting here this afternoon thinking, I am just too unclean. And the uncleanness goes just too deep. You may feel like an outsider like the leper. 
Jesus wouldn't be interested in someone like me. Would he want someone like me? Would he be willing to cleanse someone like me? Well, I urge you, go to him. Ask him. Ask him if he is willing. And I guarantee you, Jesus will say, I came for you. Or maybe you're like the paralyzed man. You may not even know that sin is an issue for you, but your life is full of all sorts of outward crippling problems. But the most important thing you need to hear is his word of forgiveness. Listen to his word of forgiveness. Receive his word of forgiveness. It will give you life, eternal life. Or maybe you're someone who is morally compromised. You've maybe come by things uh, Come by things just like the tax collector, maybe in a, an immoral way, maybe cheating, robbing, or stealing. You hear Jesus calling to you to follow him. Rise up. Rise up to new life and follow him. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time, but you feel you've messed things up. In fact, you have messed things up. Go back to Jesus. Receive forgiveness. Friends, forgiveness is not something we get at the start of our Christian lives. Forgiveness is ongoing all throughout our lives. Now imagine, imagine we could interview these three guys today, 2,000 years after they met Jesus. I wonder what they would say. Well, let's take firstly the leper. You know, he says, well, you know, I could have pretended to be clean. I could have stole clothes from a washing line to cover up my condition. And I can tell you, I was tempted to. But that would have only dealt with the symptoms. What Jesus did was to give me his purity that day. And over these 2,000 years that I've been with him, that purity has been a growing delight to me. And what about the paralyzed man? The day Jesus came to me, or in fact, the day I was brought to Jesus and he healed me, it was absolutely brilliant. My, my, my face was all over the Capernaum Courier. I mean, folks were coming up to me all the time and asking for selfies and all sorts of things. I was a real buzz about the town for months afterwards. It was amazing. And what a life I had afterwards. I got married. I had a family. I went on to live a full and productive life. But do you know, now that I've been with him these 2,000 years, I realize that the forgiveness he gave me that day was far more important than the 50 years of being able to walk about Capernaum. And what about Levi? Levi says, you know, I was minding my own business, sitting at my tax collector's booth. I wasn't looking for Jesus or any other kind of religious experience. It seemed to me that Jesus just came right out of the blue, right out of nowhere. And he entered my life and he called me. And I want to tell you, following Jesus it wasn't easy for me. And in the end, people killed me for following Jesus. But see those early meals with him. Those early meals with him and my pals. They were a foretaste of what it's like to be with him now. Friends, forgiveness is such a power. It's stronger than all our uncleanness, stronger than all our weakness, and stronger than all of our sin. Without forgiveness, we, we can't make ourselves really clean. All of our religious activities, all our good works, 
They just can't do it. And without forgiveness, we, we will never get to the root of who we are. For we will never see the, the new life that comes from forgiveness. Forgiveness restores us to God. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something we deserve. But you can have that verdict here today. Forgiven. Not through me or Rupert or any of the elders here or anyone or anything else. But only through Jesus Christ alone. There is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There is a door that is open that all may go in. And at Calvary's cross, that's where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Friends, forgiveness can be found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. He has the authority here on earth to forgive sins because here on earth, he died on the cross in order to secure our forgiveness. And you can have that verdict here today. Forgiven. Let us pray together. Father, we indeed give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ who came to deal with the unbearable weight of our sin and to bestow upon us his amazing grace of forgiveness. We pray that you would convict all of us here this afternoon of our sin and lead us to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ where we can indeed find complete forgiveness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.